1: Welcome to The Better Buy, a podcast from Better Homes and Gardens. I'm your host, Melanie Berlier. Each week, we talk to experts about the highs and lows of home ownership and share stories, advice, and practical tips you can actually put to work in your own space. In this episode, I'm speaking with Emily Henderson, the best-selling author and HGTV design star who leaned into authenticity before it became a buzzword. Emily's candid, helpful approach resonates with the millions of fans she counts across social media and the readers of her popular design blog, Style by Emily. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Can you start by telling us about your very first home buying experience? Yes, I guess
0: we'll go back to 2013. And it was a bit of a challenge to convince ourselves that we could do it. Because we were in L.A. The market there is expensive. I mean, this was almost 10 years ago, but it was still really expensive. And I had a TV show. The fact that we couldn't afford a house (laughs) was kind of nuts. And so finally, I was like, Brian, we've got to make this happen. Because if we don't get into the market now, and also just like this could be a really good investment. We know that it's a starter home. We know that it's just, you know, getting into the market. So we basically scraped and scraped and scraped. And got enough to buy a pretty rundown fixer in Glendale that was awesome, by the way. Like, it was mid-century, had these insane views, but it was pretty run-down. And, you know, I was pregnant with my first kid. I think we moved in a week before I had Charlie. It didn't matter. Like, we didn't care because we were just so excited to have a house. And we knew that it wasn't going to be like this, you know, forever family house, obviously, but it wasn't a gut job. It was just cosmetic, which, you know, being in the middle of a gut job right now, I will tell you which one I prefer. (laughs) So this project, it was really just like, it had great bones. It had really amazing natural light and it had really high ceilings. It was just a really special mid-century house. It just needed like new flooring. It needed a ton of paint. And it was a pretty all in all good experience. And we ended up, you know, being able to, to sell it for, you know, obviously much more than we bought it, which really helped us get into the the house that we ended up in LA, which we loved and was much more of a family house.
1: So you've bought a few homes since that first buying experience. How has your approach to house hunting changed since then? It's always been about location. Well, the first one wasn't, I should say. That one, we weren't worried
0: about schools yet or anything, right? So after that, it was like the vibe of the house, the location. And then we we want fixers, right? We want a project house. And it's really the only way we could afford to buy what we have bought. It was still a really expensive house because, again, it's Los Angeles. But it was too expensive for an investor to try and flip. But it was too run down for anybody that didn't literally do this for a living to take on you know, so the next project was this English tutor in Los Feliz that we loved so much. It was real rundown and it didn't look like it. You know, you walk in and be like, this is so charming. This We've fallen into this trap multiple times and it's fine. (laughs) But you're just like, I think it's just a few things. Yeah, I think
1: it's just a few things. And it's (laughs) not. It's never just a few things.
0: Once you open up walls, guys, and you can see what's behind them, you're just like, oh man, if we don't fix this now, when? So we ended up getting that one a little bit unintentionally, but we made it such a better house and and it was still super charming. It just actually functioned well.
1: What's the most surprising thing you've discovered or the weirdest thing you've discovered when you have broken down a wall inside one of your homes? I think if I can just jump to the
0: current project, that's really where we're going to get some meat (laughs) today. So do you know this farmhouse project that we're kind of working on? Oh, yeah. Of course. So we found it three years ago. This August is our three-year anniversary of falling in love with this property. Terrible photos online. Blurry and like four of them. I mean, it was just terrible photos. But we could tell. We were like trying to to stare at the photo. I'd be like, I think that looks like this cute ceiling. And I think, you know, there was things about it that made it worth flying up for. So Brian and I got on a plane like that weekend, got a realtor involved,
1: and went up and looked at it. It had been on the market for a year, And so we're like, oh, something's
0: wrong with it. But it was... Well, the
1: photos were bad. I feel like people often underestimate the power of the online photography for those listings. Yeah. I mean, it was even to the point where like, who was their realtor
0: that didn't? But so we we went over to the property. We spent four hours walking it because it's three acres and in the middle of a suburb, which is insane, at least in Portland, kind of unheard of. Nobody had touched the property. And it should have been developed at this point into multiple houses, but nobody did. So there's like the original house from the 1850s and it is so cute. It's dripping with charm. It's one of those kit houses that came flat packed on a train, right? I mean, there's no floor, there's no electrical, there's no plumbing. Definitely anybody else would 100% just demolish it. We're not. (laughs) Then there's this larger house that was built in 1910 that is uh, more of like the farmhouse, right? Where you could actually inhabit. And then there was like some sheep's barns, there was another barn, there was a couple paddocks. So what we saw was like Projects for decades, like you know, which is since most of my job is like documenting our projects and content creation, it was actually like this huge relief. I was like, oh, we can stay here. We don't have to, once we're done, try and find a project. Like we we have it all right here, you know. And it was just really magical. It was super peaceful. It's Oregon, though. So it's just so green right. and lush and so pretty. So we fell in love with it, but we offered low because it had been on the market for a year and the guy almost accepted it. And then he was just like, I'm not ready. I was just like, okay, it's just not the right time. Like, but this is our house. This is our house. So Brian and the owner got each other's numbers and they just kept texting. Like the guy really loved us and he really could see the future. He'd raised his kids there, you know, so he really could see that we loved the property and we were going to take care of it. And so they just like text back and forth. Brian was devastated. Again, I wasn't, I was like, I think it's just not the the right time you know that was august of 2019 so then you know lockdown pandemic in march and so then we moved up to or uh, we have a cabin in lake arrowhead where i am right now and that's when we kind of realized like i think we're not going to go back to la like i think that we kind of had always thought about not raising our kids there and like leaving anyway but we're like okay let's just close that chapter he texts the owner text around june And was like, I'm ready. And so we flew up to make sure that we wanted it still. This time he was charging us much more because investors had come the market started exploding, you know, so they came and they saw this three acre property that they could turn into 10 houses. And so he was like, listen, I don't want this to happen, but I need more for the house, which we understood. I think we brought the kids that time. Yeah, we brought the kids. We spent a whole day on the property, just like hanging out with their animals, envisioning everything, just like we picnicked on the grass. The guy was so accommodating. He really just, he wanted to make sure that we were sure and he wanted to sell it as is which we knew was a massive risk, but one that we took, basically.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is the farmhouse your forever home? And if so, what makes a forever home from your perspective? I think what we've learned
0: the last few years is that nothing's predictable. So when we bought the house, I think we would have said, this is our forever home. But I I don't think I can say with confidence that anything is our forever anything anymore because one of the things that I learned is just that we don't need to be so precious about things and we can kind of shift when appropriate or when we feel like we want to change. But yes, I mean, do I want to like raise our kids on this property? Yes, it's magical. It's dreamy. It's, we're still in the middle of the renovation. So we haven't even experienced the life, you know, that we had
1: planned. But what I'm envisioning is pretty awesome. you know, and hopefully forever. Do you have any advice for listeners on how to make a home you've recently purchased feel like your own rather than the previous owners? I think infusing your personality takes a lot of time. And
0: the slower you do it, the more connection you have to it in a lot of ways, you know. So I think it's easy to want to rush, certainly. Right. Because you want your house to – you want to love it, you know. But it's just – Knowing that (laughs) it takes time and that your needs and wants and style preferences change, you know?
1: I think that's a great answer. I'm actually in the middle of a reno myself, and I walked into the home knowing all of the things I didn't like, but not necessarily knowing the best way to improve them until I started to live in the space a little bit. And then you kind of have a different perspective as you continue to spend time in the space about how exactly you want things to change. That's my experience, at least. So your point about patience resonates a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm really talking to myself, too, by the way. <laughs> you know? But I will, I will tell you this. So when we first
0: bought this house, we thought we were going to restore it ourselves. We had this fantasy that Brian and I and my brother and our friend Ryan, we were going to go room by room and restore it ourselves. And really just shift, almost shift my entire career and the company into more of a DIY kind of situation. And then after we had it in our possession, we obviously had inspectors out there looking At it, we again we bought it as is, so we knew we couldn't say no to anything. And the inspector was like, he spent like 10 hours on the entire property. And he was like, oh man, I love this house. What a gem. What a gem. And we're like, I know. Right. Right. And then we're like, so what's the deal? And he's like, oh, well, you know, it needs all new roof foundation has asbestos and mold. It needs all new plumbing and electrical. And he just went on and on and on. And he was like, just the bones are good. The property is amazing. And I was like, yes, yes. Okay. But we can't DIY this anymore. You know, we went from us wanting to restore it ourselves to realizing that we had to hire a crew and that it was almost unlivable. So to your point, like, I always recommend to live in a house before you renovate it. You have no idea how you're going to use the space. You don't know what corner is going to be the most beautiful to sit in. And we just, we didn't get to live in it. So we have been renovating for now a year and a half or more and we're doing a lot of guesswork and a lot of asking ourselves questions like okay are we sure this is where we want our bedroom are we sure that this is the direction of our bed and anyway so we're doing the best we can and obviously I have a lot of experience thank goodness but we also know that living in the house would have been better right I actually still have this fantasy the next house I really do I want to just do it with my brother and see how that goes because I want to learn all this stuff that I've been around for so long you know Mm -hmm. Instead of outsourcing, and like if it just wasn't the house that we had to wait to live in, and that was another thing you don't want to rush, but we're also paying rent nearby, you know, so we're just like, ah, so. Good news is we're moving in in three weeks.
1: That is very exciting news. Very exciting. Yes. (laughs) So, Emily, I've read that you believe a lot of the reason why your blog was so successful is because of the sheer volume of posts you were able to turn out in the beginning, which you attribute to the fact that you're not a perfectionist. And I'm wondering if that sort of anti-perfectionist mentality applies to your design style, too. Um... I am not a perfectionist, but when it comes to
0: renovating, you gotta try a little bit harder, right? Because I was a stylist for so many years where your job is to bring five lamps to set and then you decide the second before you press click which lamp looks best. So you have all these options and you don't really have to be committed to any of them. You just have to have really good taste and style and then you can just decide, right? But you can't do that with renovation and so you can't do that with tile, you can't do that with faucets, you can't do that with flooring. You make the decision and that's what you get and changing your mind is not really an option, right? So I'm not a perfectionist and I'm not detail oriented. So renovating is, I think, a little bit more challenging. And that's why I do have help. I used to have like a design team that would really make sure the square footage was correct, make sure that I was thinking about clearances or thinking about the stuff that's really easy if you're a novice or if you're someone like me to kind of not think about. So I really try hard to, you know, be more perfectionist with renovating. But when it comes to the blog, you can't be. It's digital content, as you know. You just got to you do your best. And obviously, I, I want to not have grammatical mistakes. And I want to be super, you know, eloquent every day. But you're just creating content. Right. And, and there is a real freedom in that, too. Just mm-hmm. knowing that, like, oh, yesterday's wasn't very good. Let's do better tomorrow, you know. Right. It's the internet.
1: You can change it. Mm-hmm. We'll be back with more from Emily Henderson after the break. Welcome back to The Better Buy, a podcast from Better Homes and Gardens. I'm curious what decorating or design mistakes you see people make over and over again. What are the most common design mistakes?
0: Okay, so we have a whole series about this on the blog because yes, there's frequent, frequent mistakes that you're just like, oh man, I want the whole world to know It's almost like a PSA, you know. One of the biggest ones is the too small rug. You know, it's because rugs, when they hang vertically, look a lot bigger than they are on the ground. Right. So and so you're like, oh, that's surely that's big enough. And then you get it and it's too small, especially for living rooms. You know, people can look it up because we have all these rules about, well, then how do you know what size rug to get? But that's a pretty big one. And And then hanging curtains all wrong, that's a big one too. People just hang them
1: too Too short and too low.
0: Most of the time, I think buying anything that's fauxed is a problem. Now, there are some exceptions like faux logs, but anything that has been made to look old, I am very wary by.
1: Better to buy vintage, right? Or thrift something or go to an estate sale, find the actual old stuff. Yes,
0: exactly. It's hard because even though my new book is called The New Design Rules, I actually don't like to say that there are strict rules, right? Because right. Because you can always break them creatively. But right. I think knowing the rules is really good intel for you to make the most informed, best decision on how you want to break them. So, like, for instance – Vanity lighting. That's something where there's very specific rules about what height and what type of light fixture will give you the best lighting for putting on makeup. And it's a real bummer when you choose something that's really directional and the whole counter is lit, but your face isn't, right? It's like you want to know those rules, but then you're like, well, what if I love these directional sconces. So you can either, you know, put in really good recess lighting or just use that in your powder room where you don't even really need to be able to see your face. So I think that when writing about the blog, we really try not to do hard and fast rules because like Kelly Wurstler doesn't have any rules, you know, like if you know what you're doing and if you are willing to really push your creativity, you shouldn't be bounded by rules. But I just like having the information. So I know I'm making a choice and not a mistake.
1: Well, it's like you're in my brain because I was just about to ask you what your favorite design rule is to break. So, so one thing that
0: I'm thinking a lot about internally and have been for years really is just like the balance between utility and practicality and style. Because if you choose the most practical choice at every single turn, you're going to have a pretty basic house even though it's well done, it's just, it might be boring. Just saying like, if you choose the courts with the white subway classic, you know, like all these things are classic and all these things are practical, but if you choose them all, like you might look at it and be like, oh man, this actually doesn't really look like me, or this doesn't represent my personality at all. It's hard because then I'm like, well, is this going to be boring then? Like where am I taking the risks? So because we are blessed with enough space for storage, we have this awesome vintage island for the kitchen, which makes everything else in the kitchen feel cooler, but it's definitely not the, the soft clothes cabinet. Like it's you know it's it's a these big old drawers that are probably gonna be hard to shove in and out. And so Brian and I talked about it for for months and months and months. Are we willing to have a slightly less functional island in the name of style? And we both agreed that it was really important to us. So we just went for it. But if you're out there and you're like, oh man, balancing practicality and style is hard. Just know you're not alone. It's hard mm-hmm. for all of us.
1: And practicality cannot always win. No. What would you say is the best home decor project for a beginner to tackle?
0: Hmm. I think a bedroom because bedrooms only need a few elements to work really well. Like as far as symmetry goes, it works really well in a bedroom, so you don't have to make as many decisions because – I mean, just to put it plainly, because things match more, right? So whenever I'm doing, like, a show house or people want me to, you know, design a a room pro bono, I'm like, I'll do the bedroom. (laughs) I'll take the bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Also, guys, like, we spend a lot of time in your bedroom. Like, people don't prioritize it because other people don't see it. I get that. But... Once you do it, you'll be like, oh, I'm so much happier, especially if you're still spending more time at home, which I definitely am still. I need that retreat. Like, I Mm. really look forward to going to our bedroom. And when we had bedrooms that I didn't like, that wasn't the case.
1: That's so true. I do think people underestimate how much time they spend in their bedroom and how important it is because, as you said, other people just don't see it. But Mm -hmm. still so important. What are some of your favorite money-saving design tips? Definitely
0: vintage, thrifted. It's the best stuff, guys. It's just you get the most interesting, cool, often decent quality for the best for your buck. It's just it takes a lot longer. It does. The internet has made it very easy to just buy anything you want online right and so it's wonderful in a lot of ways because it's very democratized and things are way more affordable than they used to be but i am so back to thrifting and vintage and it's saving us a decent amount of money and it's making me so much more excited about this house
1: is there anything that is always worth splurging on when outfitting a home I have
0: kind of an opposite point of view than a lot of people on this. I don't want you to get cheap furniture because I don't want you to have to replace it. But there's really good sofas for $1,800 now. And there didn't used to be. They used to be like either $4,000 sofas or $200 sofas, right? But there's really good retailers now that are direct to consumer and that are like, I mean, these are high quality. They're going to last decades. They're very comfortable. So I would say to not splurge on those pieces of furniture because like you can get affordable ones. Whereas what I would splurge on is the conversation pieces that make your home feel and look just like you. For me, it's art. It's vintage rugs. It's weird sculptures. It's those things that you find, again, mostly vintage, where your gut is like, oh my God, that's awesome. And sometimes they're more expensive and especially when it comes to art and rugs, but... Whenever I've done that, I have always been so happy with how much it elevated everything that was more affordable in the space. So, you know, if you put an awesome piece of art or a weird vintage throw over a more standard sofa, it Mm -hmm. makes the sofa look cooler. You know, it just kind of, it changes the context and elevates everything.
1: And your example of the kitchen island earlier, it sounds like investing in items that actually mean something to you. Yeah. If you have
0: the budget to buy local and handmade and custom, I think that there's just a lot of soul that it adds to your house. Mm -hmm. And those things can be much more expensive, right? So, but I think that there's a responsibility of people that can afford them to make sure that we are hiring the local artisans and that we are again, if it's within your budget, like it's supporting, you know, a local economy that I feel like it, you know, is family-run business. It's just awesome and can bring a lot of soul into your
1: space, just
0: being custom.
1: What is the first thing you notice when you enter someone else's house?
0: I think you can just get a real sense of their personality pretty quickly. I really try not to think like a designer when I'm in other people's homes. It's not really very fun for them. You know what I
1: mean? (laughs) Occupational hazards. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever grown to detest a space that you designed?
0: Ooh. I mean, that's a very strong word, detest. I'm definitely <laughs> – made spaces in the past too busy for me to live in long-term. And that's something I am not doing anymore because I've just learned my lesson over and over and over. I really love busy patterns and, and bright colors in other people's work, but I have found, I think it's because of just like being in the design world and having kids that I just, I function better in just more minimal, calm spaces. So I, I do have some past Some past rooms where I was like, "Wow, they are so almost annoying to look at." Right. But at the time, it was me just trying on that part of my personality, and it was me stretching myself in ways that I needed to in in order to be like, "Okay, this actually isn't for me long term."
1: Well said. If you could give one piece of advice to new homeowners, what would it be? (sighs) Work with what you
0: have. Because I think it's a new house. You want to bring in new stuff and you want things to not even look perfect, but feel fresh and new. And I think that there's just a lot of value in trying to make what you have work versus just being like, oh, that sofa doesn't work in this house. Like well, maybe it does. And maybe it's just a matter of, of switching the orientation or moving it into a different room. Have patience. Have
1: hope. You're not going to be able to do everything at once. Right. but Everyone's so accustomed to these massive transformations on reality TV that take place in 28 minutes and I think that also impacts people's assumptions about what they'll be able to accomplish. <laughs>
0: I know and I think that I'm a part of it and so... Will you do
1: a great job of sort of drawing back the veil, the curtain, and showing people the real side of things as well? I hope so. So I thought I'd like to wrap up with a few quick fire questions. Mm. Mm-hmm. What does home mean to you in a single word?
0: One word. Come on. You know how wordy I am. Um, (laughs) Comfort and family. It would have to be both.
1: Sorry to break your rules. Spacious lawn or large basement?
0: Spacious lawn. We are big outdoor nature people.
1: Super high ceilings or lots of natural light? You can only choose one.
0: (laughs) Natural light. It's your best friend when it comes to making a space look beautiful. Like sometimes that's all you need, honestly. Okay, this one's really controversial. Top sheet or just the duvet? Oh, just the duvet. I mean, it's it's baffling to me. We've had guests up every weekend, and I do text them in advance. I'm like, are you a top sheet person?
1: I, do, I don't even think I own any top sheets. Like, I couldn't even offer a guest a top sheet. That's how anti-top sheet I am. <laughs> Neighbors or privacy?
0: Aw, that's really hard. It's like different times of my life I want different things, you know. For my kids, I want neighbors. But for me, I kind of want privacy. Mm. So I think since I'm in the kid phase of life, I'm going to go neighbors.
1: Makes sense. Fully renovated or fixer-upper? Oh, fixer-upper. And last but certainly not least, pom-poms or tassels? Ooh, pom-poms. Just because they're more playful, but I love a tassel too. (laughs) Great, Emily. Thank you so much. It's been really, really lovely speaking with you today. This was so fun. Thanks for having me, guys. And I will keep listening. You've been listening to The Better Buy from Better Homes and Gardens. Be sure to follow The Better Buy on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. We'd love your feedback, so please rate this podcast and leave us a review. You can also find us online at bhg.com slash podcast. And make sure to come back next Wednesday for more. See you then.